you really stop and think about it, it's tyrannical. You did nothing to harm anybody. Your, your actions were entirely reasonable and responsible. And this guy with a gun, thug with a gun, robbed you. You know, you were compelled to pay a sum of money. How is it any different than a guy in an alley shoving a gun in your ribs and taking your money? At least that guy's more honest. He's just taking your money and not pretending it's about safety. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's true, right? It's true. Yep. It's so true, Fantastic. dude. It's awesome. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. It's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with Myria Truth, the beautiful Raylene Lightheart. Hello, everyone. Hello, Johnny. How are you doing? I'm so good. How are you doing? I know you worked late today. I did. You know what's funny, Raylene? I'm, I'm always in these positions where I'm always having to do these safety meetings. So... You know, and, and the company has these, you know, of course, it's the state that's implementing this. But we have to sit there and do these mundane, you know, every Monday safety meeting. It's really, it's, re- it's really ridiculous. I mean, every it's like, week, every week. And it's like I'm making stuff up. It's like not even doing anything. You know, I'm just like making things up and it, it, it just gets old. You know what I mean? It really does get old. And yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Every, every week. It's like. Okay, we talked about wearing safety glasses again and make again, sure it's like memorized at this point and, every, and you're wasting time and wasting people on the clock. Yes, I'm wasting time, you know, and it's it, just the state makes everyone waste their time, their resources and their money. This is this is common. You, you know what, Johnny? What? Um, I used to work in the restaurant business, as you know, and we it was so weird because we'd always have whenever the health department would come in. We'd be like, yeah, come on in, take a look, because their standards were actually far lower than the company's health and cleanliness standards. So we were so, we would get an A plus every single time because we actually had our own standards for the corporation that I work for. You didn't need the state to implement anything. You know, privatize is always best. It's just another proof that if, if left to our own devices, we do a pretty good job, but yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's just, it gets ridiculous. And I'm just, I I spend more time filling out paperwork that doesn't, and it's hilarious because I'm just, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, just sign this. What's it for? Don't worry about it. It's safety. Oh, okay. And they'll just sign. Everyone knows it's a joke. So anyway, so I, we got, we have a special guest and I'm sure this guy has uh, his opinions about the state. Eric Peters is an automotive columnist that started writing about cars for mainstream media outlets, such as the Washington Times. Detroit News and Free Press, Investor, Business Daily, The American Spectator, National Review, The Chicago Tribune, and The Wall Street Journal. At some point, it occurred to him that cars, of course, motorcycles, represent freedom. But that freedom to drive and the freedom to drive what you always wanted to drive was being systematically undermined by authoritarian control freaks dressed in red and blue. His former conservatism evolved to Rothbardian libertarianism. You can now check him out at epautos.com. Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Eric Peters! 
I'm good. I'm like Nixon in 68. I'm tanned, rested, and ready. <laughs> right on. Right on, brother. So, Eric, thank you so much for being here. You're, uh, sure thing. You have a quite a, a reputation on the Tom Woods Show, and I've been I've listened to your show. Like, you've been on there quite a few times. I think yep. four or five times. And every time... Yeah, Tom's a good friend. Yeah, he's a great guy. We've had Tom on uh, for our last Launchpad show. So, Tom's a great man, and... I'm really glad you took the time to come on on this show. So, Eric, I have a question, and I've been reading epautos.com, and you have a, a really interesting article you had written about the gas tax mm-hmm. and what some things that the average American just don't know. Like, they come out, and people just don't know where this money's coming from, how it's all crony and regulations, and some of this information even progressives would be outraged by. Can you go into this a little bit? Oh boy! And before we do, let's uh, let's deconstruct some terminology. Uh, as a writer, I'm a I'm really interested in words and how they're used. And I I hate that word progressive. What we're really talking about, let's be exact, are are socialists uh, yes. at the very least, oh, yeah. and and okay. communists at the worst. They're not progressives. Oh no, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just call them progressive. Just to get that little semantic issue out of the way, first of all, I, I don't I like, like to let them get away with it. They're regressives. Uh, on the upside, this is a really interesting issue because on the upside. Notwithstanding all of the taxes, notwithstanding all of the regulatory burden costs that have been imposed uh, on the on the energy industry, right now gasoline is actually cheaper in inflation-adjusted terms than it was in 1965. That's an interesting fact. Wow! And if you were to take away all of the regulatory burden costs uh, that have been imposed over the past 50-something years, and also the obnoxious taxes that are very regressive, to use one of the favorite words of the progressives, uh, gas would be, in inflation-adjusted terms, probably about 50% the cost of what gas was in 1965. Wow. Wow. What you've got, I think, uh, let's see, the federal tax now on motor fuels per gallon is, I think, 50 cents. Maybe it's a little bit more. It's approximately 50 cents. And then each state adds an additional tax, and then many counties add a tax on top of that. So... I was talking with my sister, for example, uh, the other day, and she lives out in California. And in California, a gallon of regular unleaded right now is about three dollars and fifty-five cents. That's about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we we in Washington actually has the second highest gas tax where we live, Johnny. I think it's like three twenty-nine here right now. But like you were saying in that article, it's like the, the profit per gallon or per barrel or whatever is it's hardly anything. For the actual, it's hardly for the companies themselves. Yeah, if you here's another, we'll get into all these little interesting facts. You know, the oil companies uh, get tarred as being profiteers and uh, despoilers of the working class. Uh, In fact, it's the government cartels, like for example, the insurance mafia, which forces us to buy their products. uh, That is among the most profitable businesses, and I use that that word very loosely. Um, because the uh, the energy industry actually is, is a relatively free market in that we're free to buy their product and we're not punished if we don't buy their product. Mm, yes. Wow. So talk to us about ethanol, oh. uh, the E10, and how like it's subsidized. Well, it's, it's multi-tiered awfulness. Uh, most people don't realize that most of the gas, uh, I put that in air quotes, that they buy in this country is actually not gas. It's E10, which means that it's 10% ethanol by volume and only 90% gasoline. And the reason for that is because some of the federal mandate called the Renewable Fuels um, Standard that requires this. And oh. this was something that, that was imposed on the country by uh, the agribusiness cartels, uh, basically the big corn lobby. 
um, because it's to their benefit to get people to have no choice about buying their product. Uh, it's it's sold to the public under the guise of corn being renewable. The problem is it adds expense to the uh, the process of making fuel, and alcohol is much less energy dense than gasoline. So you wind up getting actually less miles per gallon out of the E10 than you would out of 100% gasoline. Does it hurt the car on any level? Is it more dangerous for the car or, or harder on the engine? Now you've got millions of cars that were manufactured before this stuff came into common currency. And yes, for them, it's a problem because alcohol is very corrosive. Mm-hmm. It also attracts water, and that accelerates rusting internally of things like steel lines. Also causes causes problems with rubber and plastic parts uh, in the fuel system and in the engine that weren't designed for alcohol. So in a way, it's kind of like an accelerated retirement program, sort of a stealth cash for clunkers to, to get rid of cars that were built before roughly the mid-1990s. Uh, cars of that vintage and older um, can indeed be damaged by the use of the ethanol fuels. Wow. wow. Now, see, I like alcohol. I don't know about you, Eric, but I really enjoy... <laughs> I like to drink it. I don't like to put it in my tank. <laughs> well, and, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize that this is sponsored by... This is, you know, Monsanto, and a lot of people are against GMOs and all that, because. but that is who is actually sponsoring things like this, right? Like cronyism. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the agribusiness cartels, you know, the, the gigantic uh, oligarchies that essentially control all of the production of food stocks in this country. Ethanol is predominantly made from corn. And an interesting thing about it is that because so much of the corn crop is diverted to the production of ethanol, uh, it has a a tertiary effect of causing uh, food prices to go up because what else is corn used for? It's used to feed cattle and other livestock. Right. So our food prices, in addition to our fuel prices, go up as a result of this. And it's something entirely artificial. It's created by a government mandate. There's no real, there's no, there's no good purpose. The reason uh, it got snuck into the regulatory code dates back to the 80s, and the idea was that they would lean out the fuel mixture by putting this, this alcohol in the fuel mixture, and that would help the, the pre-computerized cars burn more cleanly because they'd run more lean, lean. But cars have had computers and can self-adjust since around 1983, so it's a moot point now. It's irrelevant. Wow. Uh, speaking of regulations, though, how has the safety, the government regulations about safety and stuff like that made our vehicles actually more dangerous. You have actually talked about this, and could you give some examples of this? Well, I'll give you an example right now. I've got a, I get new cars every week to test drive, so uh-huh. uh, I've seen this progression, and I'll give you one specific example. There's a federal mandate that vehicles have to be able to roll on their roofs, and the roof has to be able to support the vehicle, the weight of the vehicle. Uh, in order to do that, they've had to add these girder-like A, B, and C pillars. You guys know what those are? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, they're the, they're basically the structural components yes. at either side of the windshield and that mm-hmm. support the roof. And if you compare the thickness of those in a modern car, current year car, to say a car that was made 20 years ago, it's startling how wide and huge they are. Uh, I've got an old muscle car in my garage, a 76 Trans Am, and the, the A-pillars at either side of the windshield in that car are probably uh, three inches, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, in a new car, they're six inches. Mm. I mean, they're wow. enormous, you know, and these just gigantic uh, visibility blind spots as a result of all this. And, and if you look at the, the I, mean, I guess we can use, we can use <laughs> not say for work words, yes. uh, the ass of most cars today. Cars have fat asses. You know, they're all they're all kind of just bulbous and bulging in the back. And the reason for that is because of the, the federal safety mandates that you know the, that apply to rear end collisions. So they've had to bulk up the butts of these cars, and you can't see anything from the rear. And that's why to crutch that and to band aid that, 
uh, all new cars now are required to have backup cameras. It's literally Rube Goldberg-esque and very perverse. What was funny, though, Eric, is I always thought, like, I see that in new cars, and I always mm-hmm. thought that that was like a feature, like an extra mm-hmm. for the backup cameras. So you're no. saying that all new cars now have, now, I haven't bought a new car in quite a long time. Uh, you're saying that all new new cars have to have a backup camera. Yes, yeah, uh, and that uh, has to do with the practical reason of uh, not being able to see what's going on behind you. There were a couple of of cases of kids being run over by, you know, parents backing up or people backing up cars and not noticing that there was a kid behind them, uh, and and that resulted in a big hue and cry, and uh, so um, a, a, a mandate was passed that cars have to have the backup cameras. Wow, I wonder what the steel tariffs are going to do on the on the price of these cars. <laughs> yeah, if you break it down and and you know cumulatively, if you go back to you know it really has gotten out of hand in the last ten years, but this has been going on now since the '60s, and there is a reason why the average new car sold for thirty five thousand dollars last year. That's the average transaction price of a new car, and there is a reason why the average car loan now is six or seven years as opposed to three or four. Uh, you know, back in the 80s. And it's because this stuff adds a tremendous amount of cost to the cars. Interesting, because all that extra material and all the safety features. Well, everything. It's the material, it's the technology, it's, you know, it's the design, the R&D that has to go into it. It's also, there's also a regulatory capture issue. Um, you guys are familiar with that concept? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, a major manufacturer, let's say GM or Toyota, um, they can afford to destroy 20 brand new cars in crash testing to make sure that it passes all of the various crash test requirements and so on. Right. Smaller car companies, you know, upstart, somebody, you know, a new, a latter-day Henry Ford, let's say, who's got a better idea, he can't even get into the market because he hasn't got the, the wherewithal to destroy 20 brand new cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they basically pick the, the winners and losers. Right. Oh, wow. It's always like that with yeah, well, big corporations. Yeah, and that, that's the problem. It, it really is. So there was another well, thing. And, and, Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was going to say more fundamentally, now this is my ideological approach to this issue. I don't see how in a free society it is any of the government's business to mandate safety at all. Meaning we're not talking about cars that are not roadworthy, that are, uh, that are subject to loss of control. We're talking about in, in government speak, safety means uh, uh, the ability to withstand impact forces in a crash. They have legislated out of existence. Uh, small, affordable cars like a Volkswagen Beetle, for example. I drove a 73 Beetle back in college days. Okay. And you can't get a car like that anymore, and that's ridiculous. You know, I'm an adult. I'm a grown man. I think I should be able to weigh risks for myself. Um, a, a car like a Beetle is only, quote-unquote, unsafe if I wreck. Well, I drove the thing for years. I didn't wreck. It was perfectly safe for me to drive. And it's, out, it's outrageous, I think, that the government takes that choice away from people. Well, they do, they do things in the I name agree. of safety. And that's the thing, like, oh, it's safe. It's safe. And... You have to have helmet. You have to have helmet laws right. and seatbelt laws, right? Well, I, they say that. Yeah, they they say this. But what I'm saying is, like, if they really wanted to ban an unsafe vehicle, then why aren't all motorcycles banned? Exactly. Well, they're grandfathered in. That's the only reason that motorcycles are still and I, you know I hate to use the word allowed. I mean, think about that. Are we are we chattel? Are we owned by these people? Are they our parents? Yes. You know, we always talk about government, but government is kind of this this euphemism. In reality, government's just other people. Mm-hmm. So these other people who wield power, force uh, over us, somehow they acquire the, the, the authority, the power to parent us. Yeah. Uh, no, to tell us that we, that we have to do this, that, and the other thing because it's, it's safety. Yeah. It's none of their business. Yeah, but I, I'm with you, man. It's, it's complete 
Totally. And we're on your it, side. We're on your side, man. And I'm like, I, I just get, I just get so frustrated because they just keep creating more and more laws. Like here in Washington, we have like the distracted driving law. Yeah. So you can't even like, no, you, you, you know, people shouldn't text. And I don't think it's a good idea to text and drive. I mean, yeah, you're obviously right. are not paying attention on, to the road when you're doing it, but that's a responsibility that the driver should take. And if you hit somebody, he pays them restitution. It's that's all you have to do. You sure. pay them restitution if you damage their property. You are making a risk, but to me, it's ridiculous. I have a question because I really don't know the answer, and I think you're going to know the answer to this. If someone 3D printed their own car, which is obviously a ways out, but if someone was able to 3D print their own car and build a car, are they allowed to drive it legally? Uh, on a small scale, yeah. Right now, there are still exemptions in most states. Most states for what are called hobby cars, kit cars, hand builds. So, if you were to, I'll give you a good example. Uh, you guys know what an AC Cobra is? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. You can get a kit version of that and build it yourself. Several companies offer that, and you can get the body and the engine. And you can mix and match. And you can put the thing together, and you can, you know, you can legally drive that. But what you can't do is become a car company and manufacture those things and sell them to the public. It's like Factory 5. It's a kit car. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it's, it, I don't know, man. I just think it's ridiculous. It's way overreach on the state. And, you know, and I'm going to say the state because it's not just the Fed. It's also the states that are in bed with these car companies. The state as an entity. Unfortunately, it's a lot of our fellow Americans mm-hmm. who have this, this busybody instinct to control and parent other adults and also uh, to impose what I call pre-crime. Uh, a lot of these, these mandates relating to safety, as I always style yeah, on yeah. my website, yeah. are not about any harms that have been actually caused. They're premised on the theory that, well, if you do X, you might cause harm. And the fact that it's theoretically possible that you might cause harm means you have to be harmed by being controlled or fined or mandated or have some burden imposed on you, even though you haven't done anything to anybody. Right. right. Yeah. So, Eric, what's the deal with the uh, black boxes in cars where, you know, the car manufacturers and in car insurance agencies can, like, actually record info in these newer cars? Well, it's, it's, it's creepiness that gets creepier all the time. They're technically called EDRs, Event Data Recorders, and they've been around now since the mid-90s, and they're getting more and more sophisticated. And uh, what they do is, as you drive, they record various things. The, the most current ones can record things like how deeply uh, your foot is pressing on the accelerator pedal or the brake. Um, they have accelerometers, so they can determine how fast you are going, uh, various other things. And let's say that you get into an accident, um, the, the car companies are actually, and the insurance companies are asserting ownership over this data and claiming that they have the right to get it. Now, this is being hashed out in the courts, but the fact remains that, you know, they, they can get this data and get this information and then use it against you. And the latest cars have telematics in it, uh, in them, meaning that they can send and receive data, you know, through the, through the touch screens and through all of the concierge apps and stuff that they come with. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... They can actually access this stuff without physically accessing the car in some cases. Wow. In our state in Washington, and I know that this is happening in other states also, they're trying to move toward and initiate a pay per mile tax instead of the gas tax, which I know you know about the overhead. And and, uh, what is your take on that? Go ahead. Well, I think it's ominous from a number of points of view, but chiefly because it takes away your anonymity. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the motor fuels tax, it's the only tax, one of the very few taxes, I might be able to think of another one, that I don't have any objection to because, first of all, it's voluntary. 
Uh, you know, you buy fuel if you want to drive. I think that's reasonable. And, you know, the t then the taxes are sort of user fees that uh, go to maintain the roads. But most of all, they're anonymous. If I go to the gas station, I pay my 20 bucks for my tank of gas. Mm -hmm. uh, the portion of that 20 bucks goes into the motor fuels uh, tax fund to pay for the roads. Tax by mile means that you have a, a monitoring thing in your car that right. lets the government know when you've gone somewhere, where you've gone somewhere, how long you've stayed there, it, it, it is the end of your privacy in your car. I think it's mm -hmm. incredibly creepy. Yes. Wow. Uh, what do you think yes. of, though? okay, so like we're in Seattle again. Uh, it's it's crazy out here. Socialists, commies, you name it. Mm -hmm. And everyone's driving a Prius, mm -hmm. the hybrid car. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion of these hybrid cars? And uh, like, what are some of the advantages? What are the disadvantages? And are they really that good for the environment? Well, I think that as technology, they're, they're brilliant. You know, it's, it's amazing that they've been able to engineer these things. But uh, as a practical matter, they're essentially virtue signaling mobiles. Uh, that makes very little <laughs> economic sense. Uh, yeah. It's, well, it's, you know, it's true. If you look at it, you know, do the numbers, do the calculations. A typical hybrid costs several thousand dollars more than an otherwise equivalent uh, car that's not a hybrid. Uh, gas is currently in my area about $2.45 a gallon. If you run the numbers, you will never recoup the initial cost uh, that you paid, the extra upfront cost of the hybrid technology. So you're just virtue signaling to everybody, look at me, I'm green. And you're not really green, by the way, because uh, you know all of the additional materials that go into a hybrid, particularly the, the very toxic materials that go into the batteries, uh -huh. uh, involves a lot of pretty, pretty egregious earth rape, but nobody ever wants to talk about that. And, of course, the ones that plug in, which means that you can charge the battery by plugging it into a household power outlet. Well, guess what? Most of the, electrical, most of the electricity in this country is produced by either uh, coal or oil or natural gas-fired utility plants, and, you know, they produce emissions, too. So, in the aggregate, you're not saving the earth at all. You're just virtue signaling. Or you're just transferring, you know, pollution from one area to another. And I've heard, like... There was a story, I don't know if this is true or not, but in for like the Prius, the Toyota had in their mm -hmm. factory, everything around it, their byproduct, is actually killing yeah. everything around that area. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, you've got, in a typical hybrid or an electric car, you got about three or 400 pounds of battery material. And these batteries can contain very, very caustic things in them. Uh, nobody wants to talk about, well, what happens at the end of the service life of these vehicles? I live out in the sticks in the country, and you know, out in the sticks in the country, a lot of times what happens when a car gets old, uh, some good old boy will just park it in his backyard, right? Uh -huh. And there it rusts and there it decays. Well, that car only has a 50 or so pound lead acid battery in it. Uh -huh. uh, what happens with the three or 400 pounds of batteries when that case breaks open and all that stuff just starts leaching into the ground? Nobody wants oh. to talk about this stuff. Right. So we have a lot of tech nerds that are in the libertarian movement. Um, and they're excited about self-driving cars. What's your opinion on this? I excited about it. It's, you know, first of all, it's not self-driving. I, I really, I rail against this all the time. They, they, you know, the mainstream press uses yeah. the term autonomous. Yes. Uh, that's the farthest thing from the truth. They're automated. Uh, and who controls them? It's not you. You've lost, you've lost all control of your car. So your car is going to operate uh, according to the programming that it's uh, that it's given, and who's going to be in charge of that programming? It's going to be the government and corporations. That's right. And how and how do you suppose they're going to program it? Yeah, to go, you know, to go the speed limit, to do whatever they tell you to do, and to go where to the least common denominator. It's going to be, I call it a bus for one. 
that's that's funny. I always think like if if uh, we're under martial law or something like that, they can literally make it to where we can't leave. We cannot escape. That's exactly right. Now, the good news is yeah. that this stuff is being hyped by uh, engineering ignoramuses who are mm-hmm. uh, have no understanding of the, the degree, the order of magnitude of, of technological complexity that this stuff involves. And it's nowhere near ready for prime time. And thank God for that. Um, it may happen at some point in the distant future, but it's not going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now, probably not even 20 years from now. I just jump in one more time, Johnny. Sure, about, sure. About this. Um, do you think cronyism and market regulations are why we don't have flying cars or something more innovative than the vehicles we have now? Well, I don't know about flying cars, but certainly, you know, we'd, we'd have probably more light aircraft. I've got a buddy who's a pilot, um, and he and I actually were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And the cost of entry now, there are new FAA regulations that went into effect over the past 10 or 15 years that have made what used to be something that was affordable for uh, a middle-class person who had some discretionary income. It's comparable to like my hobby of having muscle cars and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Now you have to, you have to be rich to, to get involved in general aviation. There, there's, there's no getting mm-hmm. around it. Uh, you know, you could buy a kit, an ultralight, something that you don't have to have a license for, but anything beyond that, it's, it's a rich man's uh, uh, occupation now, thanks to the government. Yeah, and Eric, you know what was funny is I was in the military. I was a pilot. I was a OH-58 Delta pilot. And what's hilarious is it was approximately about $500 for a full bag of gas. And that Mm -hmm. lasted maybe an hour and a half. And just to fly for an hour and a half. And that's, I mean, that's nothing in flight time. That's nothing. That ain't nothing. And nobody has $500 just to throw around like that. Most people don't. Yeah, well, unless you're the government, right? Or the state or whatever, you know. Right. But Which it's, means we're paying for it, but yes. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. I mean, and, and it's all like 1980s technology that's still, you know, being used in most of these aircraft now. And I, I find it hilarious because I'm like, why don't they just make this lighter so they can save themselves gas money later? You know, and I'm just thinking about gas money because we're always balancing out, you know, fuel, ammo, stuff like that when mm-hmm. I was in. And it, it was ridiculous on how much waste. They just wasted stuff. They didn't care. They didn't yep. care because they wanted it's to. It's not bar- your money, and it's somebody else's. It's a lot easier, and we know that. You know, you can look at this in a sinister way, and I think it is sinister. I think that it, looking at it from a military point of view, if you want to control a population, you have to control its mobility. Uh, you know, that includes everything from walking to cars to aircraft, and I think ultimately, really, that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, so this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. I'm here with my ray of truth, the beautiful Rayleigh Lightheart. And we're talking and we're talking to Eric Peters. And you can check him out at epautos.com if you like what you're hearing. Anyways, so this is Johnny Rocket. We have Rocket Fire coming up. So stick around, rock and roll. We'll be right back. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. 
Hey, it's Blast Off of Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. And we're talking to the road warrior himself, Mr. Eric Peters. And you can find him at epautos.com. I'm more like the toe cutter, because I've got a Kawasaki KZ900, too. <laughs> Hell yeah. I used to like dirt bikes as a kid, so I don't... Hell yeah. Uh, I, Hell yeah, Eric. Fun. The KZ900, actually, for people who are not motorcycle hip, was the very first Japanese superbike, and it was the world's fastest production motorcycle in the 70s. It's slow by modern standards, but it's cool to have one as a historical piece. Very cool. <laughs> Jinx. we're both like oh okay it's badass badass eric police are allowed to be on their cell phones and laptops on the road even when not following the traffic laws imposed on citizens the excuse is given that they're given special training that teaches them how to do this safely should all citizens have access to this same special training and do you believe their special training actually makes them better drivers well, let's see. Uh, I have, I, well, I don't, it's not current, but I had an SCCA road racing license. Uh, does that mean that I should be able to, uh, to drive as fast as I like without having to worry about, and I don't call them police, I call them armed government workers because that's what they are. That's right. Uh, be, being dragged out of my car at gunpoint for doing 80 miles an hour on the freeway. The fact is that they're kind of a Praetorian guard uh, with their own special immunities and privileges. Uh, and they can do all sorts of things that you and I can't do, including um, use lethal violence in ways that would get us charged with felony murder. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are numerous examples of this. In fact, it's so depressing almost every day uh, I find something uh, out there and post it on the site uh, that, that, that shows just grotesque overreaction by cops. But on the seatbelt thing, it's, 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 not only is it ridiculous in principle, but it's risable in fact. Uh, training these, <laughs> most of these cops can't even shoot straight. Uh, you know, they'll they'll empty their gun at some guy who's running away from them, and they'll mm-hmm. wind up hitting everything except the fleeing suspect. I've got a lot of friends who are expert shooters, and uh, those guys know how to handle a gun. Most cops are, are terrible shots; they're not good drivers. Uh, and we're told, uh, you know, that oh well, they they can they can do all these things more safely than we can, and the facts just don't support that. Well, a lot of people don't even realize that there are some cases where they give IQ tests to potential police officers, and if they score too high, they won't hire them. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yes, they actually want your IQ to be lower. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of wish that they would give them. Do you guys like sci-fi? I do. Yes, I do. You remember Blade Runner and, yes. and Philip Dick? Yes. Mm-hmm. You remember the Voight Camp test that they gave to the androids to determine, well, to find out whether somebody was a human or an android? Yes. And, and it tested for things like empathy. Right. Well, I yes. think that that's that's the, one of the problems with the, the people who today are serving, and I hate to use that word, as armed government workers, is they seem to have no empathy for uh, their fellow human beings. They seem to have been trained to be mindless automatons, uh, demanding immediate submission to their authority, and yes. uh, the least hesitance uh, to to submitting results in a grotesque escalation of force and often a beatdown or worse. Right. Authoritarians right. and psychopaths. With low IQs that take orders and and have an, and have been trained in an us versus them mentality is the police state. They are dangerous. They are dangerous. Okay, Eric. What we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of ten questions. These questions okay. will be politically or philosophically related, and if you can answer these questions between thirty to sixty seconds, that'd be badass. Eric, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? I'll do my best. All I'll right. Do my best. Here we go. Question one. 
Should it be illegal to drink and drive? No victim, no crime? It should be. It sh- impairment is the issue, not whether somebody has been drinking and driving. Uh, you know, does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? Let's say somebody runs a light and T-bones your car. Do you really care whether that person has had a couple of beers or is a senile old coot with glaucoma? I really don't care. It's still the same damage. Right. Now, you know, a person who's driving can't be faulted, but who's had, say, a couple of beers and has the misfortune to run into uh, one of these sobriety checkpoints, uh, is that person drunk? I don't see. I don't see that that person is necessarily drunk, and drunk has become synonymous with impaired. Right. And the standard now is so dumbed down that an average person can qualify as a quote-unquote drunk driver under the law after having had as little as two drinks over the course of an hour, and it's preposterous. Right. Uh, you know, we all vary in our uh, metabolism. We all vary in our in our individual ability as drivers, and there are plenty of people out there who are extremely dangerous and completely sober. That's right. And I'd much rather run into, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kurt Busch uh, or somebody with an SCCA license who had a couple of uh, beers with, with uh, uh, his dinner than my ex-mother-in-law. <laughs> That's great. All right, man. Question two. In cities like Seattle and San Francisco, it seems like the state wants people out of cars. Is that true? And why? Well, it, it doesn't seem true. It is true. Uh, there has been uh, an agenda that was kind of hush-hush for a long time that goes back to the 70s in the so-called urban planning movement uh, to make driving more and more onerous, more and more expensive, so as to, in the Cass Sunstein word, nudge people out of cars and uh, into public, that is, government transportation. There's no question about it. They're using all sorts of techniques, making parking, for example, in cities, uh, very expensive or eliminating it entirely. Um, instead of building new roads, they're winnowing down the existing roads. Uh, they're imposing uh, Interesting. extraordinarily expensive tolls. There's a whole myriad of things that they're doing to discourage people to get them out of their cars. And the reason for that has nothing to do with the environment. That's the excuse, the pretext. The reason is that people in private cars are free to come and go according to their own schedule, and they're not under the control of the government. Wow. Question three. How has unions affected the car manufacturing industry? Well, uh, historically, um, the, right now, the, the situation is, is, is different than it was when things got really bad uh, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, when the unions began to impose impossible costs on the car business to such an extent that the quality of American cars really fell through the toilet. Uh, they became insolent, bloated, and arrogant. And that really is one of the chief reasons why so many of the American car companies began to offshore their manufacturing um, because they found that they, that was the only way to not have to deal with these, these insolent unions. Uh, GM and Ford, for example, most have most of their truck manufacturing operations in Mexico, or literally right across the border for just that reason. But now it's been reversed because of right-to-work laws that have been passed, and you'll actually find that a lot of so-called foreign manufacturers, uh, Honda, Nissan, for example, and Toyota, have extensive manufacturing operations here in the U.S., Right on, right on. Question four. Are there tracking chips and tires like the RFID chip, and are they being used to spy on us? Well, there are. There's no doubt about that. Not all tires, but most of them. And they're uh, supposedly used as an inventory tracking tool, which is fine, but uh, the technology does make it feasible for them to track the vehicle. Again, that's a, a a technological reality. Nobody knows for sure exactly what these tire companies are up to and, and how far 
how far they can access, where, how close you have to be to some sort of a receiver or activator to get the RFID signal. But the fact is that it is technologically possible. That's crazy. Question five. Is gas too cheap? No, if anything, gas is obnoxiously too expensive, as we talked about earlier in the show. Right. Uh, if you took away some of the crony capitalist elements like the ethanol mandate uh, and some of the other uh, mandates that are that are on deck, like the, you know, there's a, there's a there's much talk about making premium uh, high octane fuel the default standard in the country, which would jack up prices by about thirty to forty cents a gallon for everybody. If you took all that stuff out of the equation, even if you left in the motor fuels taxes, you'd find that gas is uh, could be significantly cheaper um, than it is. Question six: Why is so much fuel wasted at traffic lights, and what can be done to fix it? Well, the main reason, and this is a, a really sad one, when you think about all this talk about uh, saving energy, saving the earth, uh, a simple thing that could be done would be to manage traffic lights uh, so that traffic flows more smoothly. Instead, what you'll find in many areas is that uh, the first light will be green, and then the next light that's 50 yards up ahead will turn uh, turn red at just the moment that the other one turns. So everybody kind of creeps forward 50 yards, then they stop. If they if they organize the lights, synchronize them so that they all allow the flow of traffic to go smoothly, we'd probably save, I don't know how many millions of barrels of oil every year. And, of course, you'd think the environmentalists would be happy because there'd be uh, there'd be less in the way of these awful, awful, dreadful global warming gases, too. Yeah, right, right, right. Question seven. Why are speed limits getting slower while technology becomes more efficient? Uh, same reason uh, as, as a lot of other stuff that we talked about. It's about control and it's about money. Um, by making speed limits artificially low such that everybody just about is driving faster than the speed limit, everybody is in effect vulnerable to being ticketed at almost any moment. Uh, and a lot of uh, counties and states have come to rely heavily on the revenue that they collect um, from speeding tickets. And, of course, the insurance mafia loves it because even if you've had, never had a claim filed against you, you've never incurred any loss, any damage to anybody, you get a speeding ticket or two, and all of a sudden your premium goes up by 20 or 30%. Right on. Question eight. Eric, is it better to have a responsible and alert driver than installing idiot-proofing technology in cars, and why? Well, I think that that's a self-evident question. Of course, it's better to have an attentive, competent, alert, and responsible driver than a meat sack who's texting and pecking away at a touchscreen. Uh, you know, somebody's paying attention. You know, you're a pilot, so you know the term situational awareness. That's right. That's um, right. You know, being being conscious of what's going on around you, and so that you can anticipate the need to act. Uh, all of these band-aid technologies are fundamentally reactive. Uh, they're not anticipatory. And, uh, you know, with all the technology, you know, fatalities and accidents are actually going up in this country, despite the fact that we're supposedly uh, right now living in the greatest safety era ever. And I think a great degree of responsibility can be laid at the feet of the fact that we have been dumbing down and idiot-proofing drivers. Right on. Right on. Question nine. Is the electric car a new idea? The electric car is an ancient idea. It goes back to the very dawn of the, uh, the car age. Uh, the late 1800s and the early part of the 20th century, when actually uh, EVs were ahead of the internal combustion car in its infancy because they were easier to operate and they actually were less bulky. You know, the old original uh, first-generation IC cars, you actually had to hand-crank them, and that made it difficult for anybody except pretty much a, you know, a young, reasonably strong man to deal with it. You had to set the spark. You had to do all these other things. An electric car, you just get in and go. But the free market still existed then, and as IC cars were improved upon 
and particularly when the self-starter came along and Henry Ford came along with the Model T, uh, the electric car was left in the dust. Bam! Question 10. Do you think modern cars are looking more and more alike? If so, why? Uh, I don't think it. I know it. And, and that's because uh, these regulations, these myriad regulations that have been imposed on the car industry and thus us, the car buying public, operate as a kind of template. You know, if you have to design a car to meet these standards, that kind of limits what you can do stylistically and functionally in order to pass those various tests. So it's no accident that you don't see cars anymore like a Series 62 Cadillac with the big fins or any of the really wild, distinctive cars that, that you know we grew up with. Those are all kind of out the window because you can't make them. They won't comply, and it's too expensive to make them comply. Right on. Bonus question. When is the best time to buy a car? <laughs> You know, that used to be, that there used to be a pat answer to that, and that was a model year changeover. But now um, the manufacturers have kind of just gone all over the place with that. And you'll find that new cars uh, sometimes get introduced in the beginning of the calendar year, sometimes in the middle, and sometimes at the end. Uh, so it's always a, generally it's a good idea to, to, you know, to know when a given model of car is about to be updated. Um, because you can usually get a good deal on the outgoing model because the dealers want to get rid of those. On the other hand, sometimes you know the people are concerned that the new model actually isn't going to be an improvement on the existing model, and then the price of the older model goes up. Wow! So doing your due diligence is actually a little bit more complicated now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Anyway, so that's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Eric Peters. Good job, man. Wow. So informative. Killer, killer. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off. I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. We're talking to Eric Peters epautos.com anyways though we're going to take a quick commercial break we'll be right back rock and roll stop by the roadside throw the keys down in the sun I'm going to stop by the roadside throw the keys down in the sun it's all my girl's money Always something wrong And I won't, won't, won't Drive this truck no more I'm sleep on my walking shoes Grab my suitcase and I'm gone I'm gonna sleep by my walking shoes Grab my suitcase and I'm gone
This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Why do people hate libertarians? One part of America calls them soulless robber barons who want to stick children back in factories. And the other part thinks they're drugged up anarchists. Who are they? And why have regular Americans been told to avoid libertarians and their ideas? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, Amazon best-selling author of Stay Away from the Libertarians, where I'm going to debunk the myths, misconceptions, and outright lies thrown at libertarians, ranging from the idea that votes can be stolen to the radical notion that you own yourself. From personal stories to ignore history, I lay out the facts and ask you if these dastardly libertarians are as much of a threat as the mainstream media and establishment politicians make them seem. You can go ahead and get a copy in print and in Kindle e-reader on Amazon today. Stay away from the libertarians by Remso W. Martinez. Available on Amazon. Hey, it's Blast Off with Charney Rocket. I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Anyways, we're talking to Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, thanks again. You did a really good job on that rocket fire, man. That was really good. You're like spot on. Spot on. That's what I get for huffing all those uh, unleaded premium gas fumes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's what what happens. Is huffing illegal? I think it is. I don't know. I think it is. Not that that's been any particular big concern to me. Yeah, well, you know, there there is a law somewhere. You know it because I have to like There's a law for everything somewhere. Yeah, you know, you know, we're badly conditioned when we always go. Is that is that illegal? Is this illegal? Yeah. Everything, yeah. right? Absolutely. So, you know, I've noticed people do not talk much anymore about how it's a free country. I think people are finally cluing in. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny, Raylene and Eric, both of you guys. I went to Home Depot and I bought like five cans of spray paint. Yeah, right. And they're like, "Can I see your ID?" Like, oh yeah. Why? Apparently, there's like an epidemic of people huffing paint, and they well, are. Them. That's what I say. Good for you. If you want to huff paint, you know, if that's assuming that's all we're talking about, you know, you're going to buy this cans of paint, take it back to your place, and and <laughs> huff it. You're not hurting me by doing that. You're and, not. And I don't think that I own you, so feel yeah. free. I, mean, I know. Look, think of I the like children. BLT. Think of well, the children. You know what? Though this whole argument is so facile and, and yes. retarded. Uh, I like uh, greasy meat. I love a BLT. Well, I'm probably clogging my arteries by eating a couple of BLTs every night. So how long is it going to be before these safety Nazis demand to make sure that I don't have too much bacon in my fridge? It's the same principle. Well, they're already trying to do that. But Eric Peters, let me tell you something. The food pyramid that they taught us about (laughs) is actually sponsored and paid for by Big Ag also. I do know about. Yes, sir. So bacon is good for you. Bread is not. So... Good. Yes. Mm. Dude, you're my dude. This is great. Not to mention delicious. <laughs> I, I love I, I love bacon, Raylene. Ba- oh, bacon. Who if you don't love bacon, you're then not, even you're not an American. Like if, come on. I'm come with on. you. There's there's something there's something defective about people who don't like bacon. I know. Bacon I know. is good with fruit. I'm, bacon is good with chocolate. Bacon is good with bacon. Bacon, bacon is, is good with bacon is good with Tabasco sauce. By bacon. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's, real. it's, it's real. good. Sometimes. Have you guys ever made bacon jerky? Yes. What? Yes. That yeah. It's you a try bomb. To do that sometime. If you haven't got a dehydrator, get one and make some big bacon jerky. Yeah. I have two dehydrators. It's, We're making all the bacon jerky. Yep, it's the it's the bomb. It's really good, and if you marinate it in Tabasco. Oh. 
But, oh, see? Now you're, you're getting me excited. Look, we're, all, we're, all, we're all so unorthodox and heterodox. You know, in, in, in another few years, they're going to round us up and burn us at the stake. You know what's funny, Eric, is I don't know if you heard about this, but they want to ban straws here. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's gotten, it's, isn't mm-hmm. this getting so out of control? I mean, it's ridiculous. What is this world coming to? Especially when you look at how much food packaging there is, when you look at all the packaging and everything that happens, everything's supposed to be individually packaged by law. Latex gloves are actually wasting way more resources than so many things because you're supposed to take off the gloves every time you would normally wash your hands. They don't substitute washing your hands. You're still supposed to wash them. And when you wear gloves, you're actually less likely to feel things on your hands and want to clean them. So you're well, actually yeah, rationality. This is not about rationality. No, exactly. no, it's about feels good. It's about feels, Eric. It's about feels. About mm-hmm. feels. It's about feels, and it's kind of a cult. I mean, we live in like a, a nation, a, a nationwide Jim Jones type of compound now. Yes. Um, yes. Where this sort of thing, which used to be looked on by rational people as kind of fruity and nutty, is becoming sort of the norm, and it's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. It is. So, Eric, tell me your thoughts on Elon Musk. And your thoughts on the Tesla 3, which is big in the hype right now. Well, I, you know, I have to, I owe Elon Musk a debt because he's my muse in a lot of ways. He has provided uh, an almost limitless uh, mine of, of subject matter for me to uh, dissect uh, with, with great fervor and vigor. Uh, that guy is perhaps the, the ur-ultimate archetypical crony capitalist. His entire business is nothing more than a gigantic fraud based on government mandates and subsidies. And it's probably the most obnoxious of all frauds that I'm aware of, because here you got a guy who is manufacturing high-end, high-performance electric luxury cars. The electricity is incidental. You and I and everybody else uh, are being mulcted, taxed, uh, to subsidize the purchase of uh, cars like the Tesla S that started about 80000 bucks, which are purchased by affluent virtue signals, signalers. This has got, this is, you know, it's bad enough when our wealth is taken from us and, and, and given to, quote-unquote, the poor, but now it's being given to the rich. This is, you know, it's like you're subsidizing basically an electric Porsche. Yeah, yes. unbelievable, unbelievable. What's the, like, tax on it, though, Eric? Like, what are we looking at? Well, it's hard to dissect all of the individual subsidies. There are subsidies at the manufacturing level. There are tax breaks for the, the, the facilities that he's got. Uh, then there are the individual subsidies. If you buy an electric car in most states, you get a $7,500 tax credit. Uh, you can ride in the, uh, the special uh, Soviet-style uh, traffic lanes that only <laughs> the elite and the anointed can, right. can, you know, are allowed to drive in, right. uh, stuff like that. And even with all of those things in place... He still can't figure out how to produce one of these things and sell it for less than about $40,000. That's the huh. price of the Model 3. Wow. And that's, again, heavily subsidized. You know, if he had to actually put that on the market for what it costs to build uh, and with a, a reasonable profit built into it, it would probably be about a fifty-five dollars or $60,000 car. Wow. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Now, how does that make, make any kind of economic sense when you can go out – uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a brand new um, Hyundai Elantra, which is you know a nice little compact uh, internal combustion engine economy car that you can pick up for about seventeen, eighteen thousand bucks, and gets forty miles per gallon. How's that inferior in any way to this forty thousand dollar electric car? It's this is wild. It's virtue signaling. Exactly. It was crazy. We were talking about the paper mile tax earlier, right? What's so crazy is everyone ke- they were trying to promote it. Actually, I was at Olympia, which is our capital, there to 
protest it and and speak to the people in the Department of Transportation and, and everything like that, trying to get them to not go forward with this. And, and it was kind of cool. I got on the news. They actually charge us $150 at the DMV if you have an electric car, but they were trying to promote it to the public to make there because these electric cars aren't even paying their share in taxes. But electric cars really aren't tearing up. The, the wear and tear on the roads from electric cars is practically nothing. And the larger gas-guzzling vehicles are paying more in gas tax. So It's so the trucks. The more, it's the trucks. Well, yeah, That's it's right. It's the heavy trucks, actually, that are putting the wear and tear on the, exactly. you know, on the roads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a weird how it's incestuous. They're giving them tax breaks, but then they're charging them more, and then they're trying to make it fair. What are they doing? They don't even know. They don't even know. And one thing electric vehicle owners don't know, by and large, um, you know, they think, oh, it's such a deal. Um, uh, you know, I can just plug this thing into my house. Well, at the moment, because electric cars are a, a pittance, they're, uh, I think the, the total sales volume is around 1%, not even, yeah. of, the, of the entire market. Um, there is no analog, no equivalent to the motor fuels excise taxes that are imposed on gasoline on electricity. So the cost of electricity, it's disingenuous. They don't realize how much it's going to have to cost because they're going to have to, if these things ever became mass market, uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to tax them in the same way that they currently tax motor fuels. You know, there are a lot of quote unquote free public charging stations. That's not going to last. Right. Uh, you know, if these things ever ever came out en masse, uh, that would have to change. And another thing that would have to change, yes. uh, the grid, and there are several grids, as you guys probably know in the country, is already at max capacity or very close to it. Mm-hmm. And if you were to in- significantly increase the draw, the demand on that on the various grids, uh, you'd have to find out a way to increase the capacity. And it's not cheap to build a utility plant. Right. And therefore, you'd have more taxes because it would be subsidized. Yep. And we just go down the rabbit hole. So, Eric, yep. really quick, man, before we go, I, I just have one question. We're going to go into libertarian utopia, which doesn't exist, but I'm going to mm-hmm. pretend it does for this moment, right? Because I don't really mm-hmm. don't believe in the utopias. And Capistan. And Capistan, right? What do you see, like, if we didn't have the government involved in vehicles, right? They weren't involved in the roads. They had nothing to do with it. Or, you know, if we had a stateless society, Right. How would you see the roads and how would they be different than what they are now? Well, actually, you know, you can go back to uh, the early and mid part of the 20th century when it was largely like that. Uh, when the car industry was largely responding to free market demand and you had all kinds of interesting oddball vehicles. You had everything ranging from uh, extremely high-end Duesenbergs with, and Cadillacs with V16 engines and beautiful porcelainized engines and then you had these, these just little Beetle-like cars. Well, the Beetle, you know, that the Germans came up with. And, right. And cars like that that were made here. Uh, it, it ran the gamut. You didn't have this bleak homogeneity that we have today in the vehicles. And you had turnpikes back then that were sort of fee-for-service. And you had secondary roads. Uh, all of this stuff, it would be different than it is now, but we'd be a lot more free. Oh, absolutely. What about the rules of the road, though? I'm really curious about that. Like, what do you think? How do you think traffic would run more efficiently? Well, you know, in a free, we already have examples of that um, piecemeal. In Germany, everybody's familiar with the Autobahn, where there are no speed limits. And the presumption is that you are competent, and as long as you maintain control of your vehicle and don't cause a problem, you can drive at the speed that you're comfortable driving. No problem. And I don't see why that can't scale. Um, in, in Britain, they've experimented with doing away with traffic signals and leaving it to the judgment of people to come to a stop or not. If, if, it's, if conditions warrant, if there's another car, it's kind of idiotic. It's like a, a totem. Okay, you know, you're driving. I've got a stop sign at the top of the road uh, from my house, but I live out in the sticks, and often there's nobody there. 
why should I sort of, you know, bend over like a savage to this sign when it's clear there's nobody there? There's no reason to stop. I mean, I can look and slow down, but why should I have to stop other than just paying mindless obeisance to a sign? You know what? I got a ticket once in Idaho. This is no joke. Doesn't surprise me, rebel. Yeah, already. Right. So it was right outside of my house and I pulled up and I looked both ways and then I and then I left. I thought that I literally thought that that was fair. Right. Like they went to I stopped at the sign. I look and then I go and I got pulled over by a cop and said I counted. It was not a full two seconds and I got a ticket. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, Unbelievable. Petty, but really, if you really stop and think about it, it's it's tyrannical. This this guy with a gun uh, mm-hmm. with with you, you did nothing to harm anybody. Your, your actions were entirely reasonable and responsible. And this thug with a gun robbed you. You know, you were compelled to pay a sum of money. How is it any different than a guy in an alley shoving a gun in your ribs and taking your money? At least that guy's more honest. He's just taking your money and not pretending it's about safety. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's true, right? It's true. It's so true, dude. It's awesome. No, it's all bullshit. And Eric, you know what, man, I'm, I'm serious. This is really cool. I'm really glad you're here. Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seat belts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Eric Peters, give us your dot-coms, man. It's epautos.com. Pretty straightforward. Right on. And what about your YouTube? You have a YouTube channel, right? Uh, you know, I wonder if I do or not. I just post them in it and, and I, end up, I post the videos on the site with a link to YouTube. I really should get more hip, as Dr. Evil put it, to all the social media stuff. I just haven't caught up with it all. You have a couple books, too. So do you want to promote any of the names of your books? Oh, well, I mean, you can go to Amazon and uh, you buy Automotive Atrocities. That's a book about cars like uh, the Aztec and the Pinto and the Vega. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, that's hilarious there's, there's road hogs which is actually a sort of a homage to the great land yachts that uh that, that were built during the heyday of the american car in the 50s and the 60s and even into the 70s and then i've got a book that's uh, an ebook that uh, people can get for free on the website that's just about car buying uh it's, it's called don't get taken for a ride and all they have to do is click on there's a little link on the site and they can get that and download it for free you also had a thing for questions so if people want to ask you questions Right? They can yeah, come there's, to your- a, there's a button on the site, and also at the tagline, uh, underneath every article, there's a tagline, and there's a little link there that you can click on if you have a question about car buying or about repairing cars or anything, basically, and you'd like to ask me about it. There's no gimmick or catch. I just do that as a, you know, as a service to people who are interested so that they can come to the site and maybe find some value there. Right on. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being here. This has been a pleasure. Oh, sure. And if you guys want to hear more of Eric Peters, Please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash blastoff podcast or the new updated supportblastoff.com. Anyway, so I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Thanks, guys. I hope you really sign up for the Patreon to hear the All Nighter also, which is our show with just Johnny and me talking about whatever's pissing us off or making us super happy. That's right. It's usually pissing us off, but we at least come with solutions, Raylene. We come with solutions. Right, we, we, don't, we do have solutions. We just don't bitch about and then get upset and walk away and leave everyone that's else true, upset. That's true. We got all the answers. Just listen. Two dollars yeah. an episode, guys. That's it. Two bucks. <laughs> two bucks. Two fiat currency dollars. All right. Anyways, though, we're talking to Eric Peters. Eric, thank you so much. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket. Always launching ideas. 
here at the launch pad and rock and roll. We'll see you next week. Bam.